Hello, welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights podcast. I've got a very special guest with me uh, this week, uh, Mr. Paul Skirm. How are you? Hello, um, I'm okay considering, I suppose, in the middle of chemo, so that's not going to be for six at the moment. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine that's really tough going. Um, appreciate you obviously committing some time to to have a to chat with me. No worries. So it, I'd love to hear about how you uh, got into the electrical industry and what was your journey. Oh, journey's been a long one. I didn't originally start off in the electrical industry, um, in the installation side. I started off on factory maintenance. Then I went into I had a few jobs of factory maintenance. Then I went to work for a machine machinery manufacturer for uh, manufacturing um, CNC equipment for mm, primarily the automotive industry, uh, engine component manufacturing. Um, and I found myself then doing um, machinery installations, mechanical, hydraulics, pneumatics, wiring machinery up. Then we were doing um, commissioning, fault finding. I went right through doing software. I was with them for about 10 years altogether. So I found that, that, that I'd sort of spent a good 40% of that time doing nothing but electrical stuff. And, mm-hmm. and when you are the representative of the manufacturer of a piece of equipment and it's not working, Saying to the customer, oh, I'm mechanical, there's an electrical problem, I can't fix that. It just doesn't cut the mustard. Yeah. Not when they, it's costing them, you know, hundreds of pounds an hour in downtime, literally. Yeah. yeah. No, not even hundreds, even possibly hundreds of thousands of pounds an hour in downtime. And then we're going back to the to the 80s, early 90s, and you're talking about hourly downtime figures of over 100,000 pounds then. Stop a line, you know? Yeah. So you stop a line, it's a lot of money. So so say no. So I, I had to learn quick. I had to learn the hard way. Uh, we used to have um, know, standard direct online starters, limit switches, um, right through to servo drives, variable speed drives, PLC, CNC stuff. So I had to pick up quite a lot of stuff quite quickly. But to be fair, the guys around me were very good um, because we relied on each other. I had a lot of um, mentoring, a lot of training for you know peer-to-peer training, which was really good. From there, I went. I left there and I went into a collar and tie job, really, in the uh, in manufacturing. I was a manufacturing engineer for a while because I didn't want to go. I didn't want to stay on the road to um, and, and travel all over the world. To be honest, it didn't didn't really appeal to me. I had young kids by this time. Traveling the globe is all well and good, but very often you see you know um, taxi, hotel, airport. Taxi, hotel, factory, taxi, hotel, and rinse and repeat. You know, yeah, eventually yeah. you'll get that. You'll eventually you'll get that taxi that takes you back to the hotel, <laughs> uh, which is uh, to the hotel to pick your bags up to get the flight to the taxi to the airport to get you home. You know, uh, yeah. um, and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, well, I I didn't. It wasn't for me anyway. Um, so I went then to work in the say in, in a factory doing um, uh, call and tie job behind a computer. Manufacturing engineering, process engineering, two jigs, tooling, fixtures, um, process improvements, cost downs, all that sort of production engineering stuff. Didn't really like it. Didn't really get on with my boss. So I, I, I jumped ship again. I went back on the road. But I went to work for a, a third-party repair company. Um, I suppose, like, if you think that when I was working for the machine tool manufacturer, I was working for the main dealer, 
if you're thinking about cars, you know. Yeah. Uh, I went to work for a, I wouldn't say a backstreet garage, but um, an independent garage. It would be if you were thinking about cars, you know. So we used to do repairs on anybody's equipment, anywhere, you know, anywhere you pay us. Um, so I found myself then diversifying into, uh, from the specialist side of controls I'd been on, I was starting to work with Siemens, Bradley, all sorts of other PLC, CNC equipment, basically anything that that was thrown at me. And I found that I managed it, you know, and it was it was quite interesting working on all sorts of different stuff. But money wasn't brilliant. The conditions weren't fantastic. They were a small company and I had the opportunity to go and work for another manufacturer. This time manufacturer of electrical drives and control equipment, one of the biggest in the world. Um, I'm deliberately not mentioning names. Uh, some some people out there will know who I've worked for. It's on my LinkedIn profile. But um, they, they were the driving control company. Um, they had a hydraulics division, pneumatics division. Um, they used to make also ball screws, guarding, aluminium guarding, linear linear slideways, linear bearings, linear actuators, servo drives, PLCs, CNC controls. Um, I was in the service department there for for quite a few years, five years, I think, five, six years, maybe. Um, and that was a that was a really, really good grounding because we used to have, well, it was virtually compulsory training of at least two, two weeks a year, at least two weeks a year at the factory in Germany. And uh, we had a skills matrix developed as, as part of our personal development there. And if you didn't have at least sort of level one, level two. And we're not talking about NVQ one, NVQ two, or what we class as level one, level two, training in um, all of the products. If there was a training course on in the UK, you would you were on it. I mean, some years you, you would do two months training in the year, you know, sometimes more, uh, sometimes less, depending on, on, on what new products were coming out. And that was, a, that was a, a fantastic learning curve. And while I was there, we were doing a lot of upgrades and retrofits on product where we were finding that the old DC drives, DC motors and stuff were um, obsolete because as a manufacturer, even we couldn't get the parts to repair the things because the the, the, the chip manufacturers just weren't making them anymore. You know, the, the, the electronic components inside were simply obsolete. Uh, when it came to the motors, you know, technology moved on. We weren't making the DC motors anymore. And to make one-off parts for a motor and to make one-offs as a spare part is horrendously expensive. So I ended up getting involved in the retrofitting um, of older product. And one of the things that came up is obviously when we're modifying this machinery, there's standards that we need to stick to. Uh, and, and the prime one for machinery is the sister standard to BS7671. It's a standard called EN60204. If you look at clause 1102XI, you'll see one of the exclusions in 7671 is equipment that's covered by 60204. So I found myself working to this standard, I found myself looking at this standard, and I found myself thinking about things like, hang on, loop impedance, disconnection times, because we were you know, doing fundamental circuit design on these machines, because we were changing them. Um, we were almost becoming responsible as the manufacturer of the machinery for certain parts but we didn't have all of the manufacturer's information. So things came up like, well, hang on a minute. Uh, how are we going to prove disconnection here? We don't know what the incoming supply is like. So we started then, all right, 
and happened to mention it to my boss that we should have somebody that understood the external circuits, uh, the 7671 site, to look at the uh, to make sure that when we're doing these modifications, that you know the, the, the external circuits and everything are are suitable. Um, and he went, yeah, you probably should sort that out, shouldn't you? <laughs> Classic boss move. <laughs> yeah, but but to be fair, they paid for me to do my 16th. They paid for me to do my, you know, they, I did it. Don't get me wrong, I did it in my own time. I did it in evenings, but it suited me to do it in evenings, uh, and I did it in local college. Um, but they they funded it, you know. So I did my I did regs, I did inspection and testing, and 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 the installation courses that that whilst I was there they funded them. I didn't do my design course when I was there because I, I I got made redundant and I did my design course off my own back at a later date. But um, by this time I'd already done, you know, I done agency going back not long after I came out of my apprenticeship, um, and I'd done my bachelor's, my honours, and my master's degree with the Open University. So I'd, I'd done quite a lot of studying by this point. So I used the um, the, the City and Gills courses, the, the Rex course, the inspection and testing. The what was the other one I did? I can't. I did, I did two, three, zero, and something else, and something else. Um, as a, like a conversion course, so I'd done an apprenticeship. You know what I mean? I knew how to bend tube. It just I didn't. It wasn't conduit. It was hydraulic tube. You know. Yeah. Um, I knew how to drill holes in walls. I knew how to you know the the hand tool side of it, the practical side of it. I'd already covered as I'd done the indentured apprenticeship. Um, so we'd done even as part of that. Doesn't matter what trade we were, we had to do electrical work, we had to do uh, milling, turning, uh, bench fitting, ev- welding. Didn't matter what trade you were, we had to do a, a, at least a few weeks of everything. Um, so then, having done all this um, sort of electrical installations work, um, we had a, a round of redundancies in the company. Electrical installations training, I should say. We had a round of redundancies at, at, at the company I was working at. And unfortunately, I was one of the ones selected for redundancy. So I took the redundancy. My wife had been working for a small engineering firm for, for 20 odd years. And we had the opportunity to take the company over, uh, which none, we, we did that even before I knew it was going to be made redundant. So when I became it was major and I went looking around for jobs and it was there wasn't a lot around. Uh, I didn't really want to go back on the tools because I was part way off the tools by then. Um, you know, I've been doing all this retrofit design work. I mean, the other thing that we've been doing, we didn't have a name for it at the time. has um, now become since become called Industry 4. Smart, smart or the Internet of Things is the other thing they call it. I mean, I was doing remote monitoring of machinery from, well, the room was up there in my bungalow at a, at a plant, at a, at a, an, air, an automotive manufacturing plant on the east side of London, shall we say, from my little house in Swansea. I was monitoring manufacturing machinery there back in the year 2000, 2001. You know, um, it was unheard of. I mean, the fastest connection that we had at the time was dual channel ISDN, 115K. <laughs> you know, broadband wasn't, wasn't a thing, you know. Yeah. 3G, it was just, just coming in and we could get a 3G uh, modem data signal. Um, so having done all that stuff, I didn't really want to go back on the tools. So I was looking around for jobs and it was nothing really that was paying anywhere near the money that I was on and did nothing really suited what I wanted to do. So I'm going to have to go back on the tools. So I'm going to go back on the tools and I'm going to do it for myself. 
I knew I could I could wing it fixing machinery because I'd been doing it for for quite a few years. So that's what we did. Uh, I, I joined the company that my wife was my wife and I run the company for a few years. We um so we started running up then um my side of the business as it were. Started off doing machinery uh, repairs and installations and extended that then to doing offering it you know the electrical side of the business installing circuits for new machinery and what have you got registered with the NICIC as an AC very quickly because it was all pretty straightforward stuff and just ramped it up from there really we ended up doing a lot of work for primarily machinery related so industrial stuff but you know waste recycling plants um you know the biggest DICR we did was probably going on for 100 sides of paper you know it was like mm-hmm. 50 dbs it was across multiple sites but yeah. the time it was all put together um 1600 amp supply job that was that was a nice job that was because the the client was was very um very proactive you know we were finding stuff and he was he was raising purchase orders getting people to put it right as we went so it was a that was a nice job a lot of flipping work though <laughs> did you find there was lots of uh, other challenges when starting up on your own that you weren't expecting yeah, I mean, I'm not a businessman, never was a businessman. Um, we took over the business um, and it was ticking along. But then to find that we had to to grow that and all of a sudden start taking an extra wage out of it and, and turn it around and sort of start building a reputation because I had no contacts locally, really. Um, you know, I knew people at factories up in Birmingham, up in Scotland, up in London and Liverpool and Peterborough and uh, but they're uh, Bridgend, but very little um, locally to me in the area that I was then looking at where I could uh, go knocking doors for work, you know. But luckily enough, the company that we did take over had a ready-made customer base, so we just tried playing on them. But the challenges certainly were all of a sudden having to run a business. You know, it was it was alien to me. Um, it still bloody is, to be honest. I, I mean, um, I, 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 I mean, so you, you know, you you must be uh, you must be doing well, got your own business, and it. I don't look at it like that, you know. Um, I just do my thing and get paid for it, and it's just, I'm lucky that my own boss ain't doing it, you know. Yeah. So from there, I say we went on and, and and built the business up from there into into the electrical side. So it was when I was working for myself, I did my design course and stuff. So. Actually, I got to be honest, and that was did it under the 16th brown book. So one complete color cycle ago, <laughs> as we still brown to brown, I found it quite a challenging course to be honest. Even after having done, you know, bachelor's and then a master's degree in engineering, it wasn't back then. It was quite a challenging course. To be fair, I haven't sat. I've, I've taught the inspection test, and I've taught uh, a couple of days of the design course since. But I've never, um, I've never sat one of the new exams, so I couldn't compare back then to now. You know, everybody says, "Oh, it's it's dumb, 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 dumb," because it's multiple choice and stuff. But I know some of the questions, even though they're multiple choice, they're quite challenging. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, when I did my 18th fairly recently, there was certainly a, a few in there that you'd say would trip you up mm. if you didn't pay proper attention to the wording. Yeah, oh, definitely. And certainly, once you go on from that to the design course and stuff. And the inspection and testing. There's definitely questions in there. I mean, I wouldn't say that they're designed to trip you up grammar-wise, but they're definitely designed to challenge you, to make you think about the question. 
not just pick A, A B, C, D, or E, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can, obviously. You can yeah, you've get. got 25% chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you kind of mentioned it there. So you, you were saying you taught. Were you uh, in the education sector for a while then? I used to fill in. Um, I met a, a lecturer at um, where is that college, and we got on really well. And he he left and set up his own his own training company, an electrical contracting firm, with a couple of other guys. And um, he ended up getting involved in machinery stuff. And and like you said to me, he said if he didn't got a ceiling rose and a pull cord, he said I'm stuffed. He was he was a you know domestic commercial guy. Um, no, really really good uh, walking regs book. He's retired. I'm just about retired now. A walking regs book, brilliant guy. Um, but his, his, him and his guys were not machinery related. So any machinery work I used to get, they used to get in, they used to pass on to me. And I would do it, invoice them, they would invoice the client. I was never looking to take their customers off them. Whereas some of the other electrical contractors in the area, would they, they'd send them in there and they'd try and take the client off them, you know. I was quite happy being a one-man band, subbing to them. They paid my bills, you know, they paid me regardless of whether they got paid. So that suited me. Um, so one day he was stuck for somebody and he said, um, I'm really stuck. He said, would you, would you fancy teaching regs? And I went, really? Me? Yes, you know your stuff. You can do it. Tell you what he said. I'll sit through a couple of sessions with you. Oh, all right then. And then they went off there and, and I, I acted then as his his backup lecturer. He had a couple, it was himself and two other guys. If one of them was on holiday and somebody was going to be sick or somebody was sick and needed holidays or whatever, I used to fill in doing... Um, Fill in lecturing for him in his, his, his training school. Did it, did it add a, a dimension to your, your skill set? Yeah, I think it did. Um, it did because it had to make me stop and think about things and, and trying to explain things in different ways to get people to understand. Whereas perhaps I'd read it and think, oh, yeah, OK, that's that. I get that. Somebody else reading, well, I don't get that. And I could explain to them, but they still wouldn't get it. So I'd have to stop then and think, well, how can I reword this? How can I give um, an example? In, like I did earlier on saying about working for a main dealer and a, and a, and a, and a, and a back, not back street garage, but a, you know, an independent garage. That sort of taking that topic, taking that concept and explaining it in terms of something else to enable the, the, the students to get their head around it, you know? Yeah, using analogies and stuff. Yeah, using analogies or, uh, yeah, um, or even just or anecdotes. Or the other thing I, I, I would do is, especially if we had some, some really good guys in the class, I might say, well, hang on, let's, you know, what does everybody else think? And, and, and get the class to teach themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely a good way. So, uh, so yeah, those are the sort of things that that, that, that sort of um, taught me a, uh, Every day, you know, every day's a school day, as I say, and it's true. You know what I mean? It's definitely true. You do learn as well. It's very, very rare. Um, a week goes by and I don't learn something new. Because I'm not working every day at the moment, obviously. Well, yeah. I'm hardly working at all, really. But I just do what I can. So, obviously, you, you're coming from production lines. You must have been, you're obviously heavily dealing with machinery, like you've mentioned, throughout your career. Mm. Uh, how has how that intertwined? I know you're uh, very much um focused on like we'll call it ce marking but uk ca marking now how, how has that led uh, or bled into your career and, and the training around that 
Right. Okay. Well, the C marking and, and that came out of the fact, um, sorry, not the fact, came out of us doing the retrofitting work when I was at the controls company because we were obviously modifying machinery. So we needed to make sure that we weren't falling foul of the legislation, which was the machinery directive. So um, we that I started off having to learn about all of those aspects of the legislation around machinery safety, the essential other safety requirements, um, which is really good if you come from the machinery side because the low voltage directive, essential health and safety requirements are embedded in the machinery directive. So if you learn how to meet the machinery directive, you learn how to meet the essential health and safety requirements of the low voltage directive as well. Mm. Whereas it wouldn't, you wouldn't the other way around, you know. So, and I started learning a lot of different standards. I mean, when you look at what sparks generally, um, you know, 7671, 7430 for earth in perhaps, 5839, 5266. And that's about it. Maybe um, there are a couple of others. 909 if you're doing you know um temporary events and stuff but when you start with machinery you you know you can run off one to one double oh thirty eight for nine thirteen eight fifty one four one one eight one four one one nine six oh two four uh one it's not ten thirty seven it's one four one one eight now i mean uh you you, you and, and and you can soon get to 10 15 20 standards that you need to have to hand before you start you know and um because the difference being that as electricians, when we're building and constructing an installation in a dwelling, everything we're buying is already C marked or UKCA marked as is going to be. Well, this, oh, don't this, this. That's <laughs> don't up yeah. <laughs> you're already, you're, you're already assembling, you're, you're, you're assembling an assembly of C marked components effectively because the low voltage directive is implemented in UK legislation as the electrical equipment safety regulations. And, and and because it's in a building, you don't see mark a building. You know you have to comply with building regulations. You have to comply with uh, you know those construction standards around building regs and the approved documents and CDM. And seven six seven one has been the chosen standard for one of a better way of putting it. It's the harmonised standard for building installations. So as long as you stick with that. You don't really need to follow a lot of the other stuff because what you're buying is already C-marked. So it's only if you come to you're designing and your own earthing system, earthing mats and nests, and you know you're putting more than a single rod down, you know, uh, or you've got a more complex installation, then you need to start looking at 7430. Construction sites is another one. You know, you need to probably look at the construction site standard if you're doing a lot of work on construction sites. 7909 if you're doing um, event stuff. Obviously, then if you're moving emergency light in the 5266 or fire alarms and stuff, you're looking at um, 5839 series. Uh, if you start going into data and, and data installations, there's a there's a whole raft of standards, uh, installation standards around data, even though the fundamental ones of the cable installations for data are covered in 7671 for for the sort of safety side of it and the a lot the EMC and the fire and the voltage um, insulation requirements. There's a whole raft of other stuff around positioning, around spacing, around bending radiuses, around installation methods that are covered in a raft of other standards that you really you should have hold of, you know, if you're going into those fields. But when you're designing a machine, you see marking the thing as a whole. So there's a whole bloody raft of standards that you need to have 
to be able to, to, to design to. Saying which, obviously, standards are not legislation. You can go off and do what the heck you like. Yeah. But there's a much closer link between standards in the machinery world and the low voltage directive world than there is between 7671 and, shall we say, the artistic work regs. Uh, you know, we have that little paragraph in the front of 7671 that says, well, if you comply with that, the HSC say you should probably, you'll probably comply with the artistic work regs. In the machinery directive, supply machine safety regulations in the UK, uh, low voltage directive, regulations, it's written in that if you comply with the standards, you will be deemed to comply with the essential health and safety requirements. So you can actually genuinely then use the standard as defence in the court of law. You can say, this standard says in this clause, if I do this, I will comply with that health, essential health and safety requirement. And in the standards, the relevant standards, there's a chart table that says this this clause, this EHSR, this clause, this EHSR, or the other one, this EHSR, to meet this EHSR, use this clause, to meet this one, use this clause, to meet this one, use this clause. And you can just you can tick those boxes off, say, I've met that, I've met that, I've met that, I've met that. And you can do what they call deemed to comply or presumption of conformity. Um, which is why while standards are not legislation, they're not law when it comes to machinery and low voltage directive products. I always tell people stick to the blinking standards. Then you haven't got to do tons of uh, failing mode and effect analysis. You haven't got to do tons of risk assessments and, and, uh, and design risk assessments to cover your design because you've stuck to the standard, which gives you this deem to comply. Yeah. Yeah. If I, what I'm going to do for people listening as well, I'm going to give you a, a probably the trickiest question. And can you define a machine? Yeah, well, there's actually a definition of a machine on 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 the HSC website, um, but the which I I can't recall off the top of my head. I mean, what you've got to think about though is it's powered and it's got something that moves. Now, a lot of people don't think that. Let's take an air conditioner uh, in an office block. You've got a separate unit. You've got a you've got a uh, evap outside, and you've got a set in the roof in a 600 mil square tile. You know, is that a machine? I would say yes. Yeah, it is, because in the machinery in, in the in the list of standards harmonised to the machinery directive, there's two standards. There's a risk. So there's two. There's a few standards which cover those products. Mm. So there's a clue for you. Hang on, if there's a product standard for it, which is listed against the machinery directive, it's a machine. So strictly speaking, when you're installing one of those air conditioners, once you drop the main supply to it, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a single supply, let's say to the outside unit, and then that's going to feed the inside unit from there, well, 7671 stops at the isolator. So all that wiring between the inside and outside units is not under 7671. But... You'd be a fool to ignore all aspects of 7671, especially that one about premature collapse. And I've got to get that one in. There's a few of my colleagues and a few of my peers would be on me like a ton of rips. Um, because, you know, you, I mean, it's something I even mentioned when I do machinery and you've got big machines in a factory and you've got cables hanging off stuff by cable ties. Mm. You know, I'm always bringing up, you know, you need to think about this. Okay, it's not part of the building wiring. It's not covered by 7671, but if that were, that wouldn't be acceptable. Think yeah. about it in the event of a fire. Think about what could happen here. People could get tangled. People could die, you know? Yeah, it's very important. Typically, what I've seen in factories, like you say, you've got movable machines that, that typically are rotating around a factory floor. And 
whether it's buzz bars or something like that they've got something movable haven't they and they're, they're dragging the armoured or cable tying it loosely to follow those sorts of machines yeah i mean armoured's not a good supply for those sort of things mobile so mobile machines um most of what i most of the machinery i've worked in has tended to be big static stuff you know um and where we've had um like uh, rail guided vehicles or where we've had um mobile mobile machinery it's it's been like cranes gantry cranes where you've got buzz bars or, or the rail guided vehicles used to have buzz bars on them uh and, and pickups but armored cables yeah being machines moving on with armored cables attached to them is not a good idea you know i mean how many times have we seen armored cables using extension leads and you think oh really is that really you know yeah yeah, and, yeah, and no, definitely in the in the smaller factory, certainly I've, I've seen it quite common that and SY slung around. Well, a couple of the manufacturers now have got SY through the um, through the um, cable uh, approvals procedure. Uh, so so it is a it is an approved cable now and a BASEC approved cable. Some of the manufacturers have a BASEC approved version, but when it comes to machinery, you see, there's nothing wrong with SY. Because the manufacturer can use whatever the heck they like and certify it's down to them. The risk is theirs, you know. It is a recognized cable type. What well, biggest problem with SY is it's not used properly. It's mm. not used in the right places. Yeah. It's not an armored cable. It's a screened cable. It's for EMC control. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah you've also got CY, which is a, a copper uh, braided equivalent of SY. Tends to have a a grey sheath rather than a transparent sheath and putting SY outside that that clear PVC sheath is not good and the solar radiation you know it's not a good plan no definitely yeah we, I mean I've always used it for like you say um control cabling mm. um on, on production lines and stuff like that that's always been yeah. the use yeah I mean I did do I did do a supply to a did a, a 50 amp I think it was a 50 amp supply to an air compressor with SY because it was in a steel container and the whole bloody thing was to shake. Um, so I thought, well, we'd had problems elsewhere on the site with vibration with regard to 6491 singles, you know, with the seven strand singles mm. vibrating so much that they were fatiguing and breaking. Well, if I stick an armoured in here, there's every chance that this is going to fatigue. Um, we had tray work. It was well protected as you know indoors in a steel container no obviously no forklift track but traffic is going in a forklift in another tr- container when you've got a blinking big compressor in there can you um but we put that in between the, the distribution board and the and the compressor i didn't really have any any qualms about it i used the proper glands um bootless ferrules you know what i mean um yeah not the sort of thing i'd use every day all, all day i mean, but I've obviously I have used meters and meters and meters of it for control cables over the years. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean one of the, one of the things you kind of started to touch on, and I'll I'll circle back round to it. Mm. The um the CE becoming UKCA. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, the last I heard, and I haven't to be honest, I'm because I've been um because I've been there the last couple of months, I haven't really been following what's going on with the CE and UKCA thing. I know the last I heard is that it's been delayed again, isn't it? I believe so. so yeah. You can UKCA mark now, but the C mark is still going to be valid, I think, for another 12 months after. Is it till this December or is it next December? I can't recall now. 
I think it's 23, I believe. Yeah, December 23, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. is the latest we heard. I mean, we've left the European market. I'm not, we're not going to get political, but we've not left the IEC, the International Technical Commission. We've not left ISO. And that's where all the standards, all even the American standards, are derived these days from the IEC and ISO. Obviously, they have such a large market, they have the ability to customise them to suit their market a lot and a different legal system. So uh, then those those obviously run rumble down then to SEN and SENELEC, which we've not left either. So as a national standards body, BSI is still going to be governed and JPL 64 when it comes to 7671 are still going to be governed by the technical intent that comes out of SENELEC in HD 60364. So from that aspect, I don't see a lot of change. The only big difference between C market and UK C market at the moment is the declaration. Um, and there's a few little bits and pieces on the declaration. But other than that, the requirement is identical because what they've done is they've taken all of the harmonized standards to the directives and made them designated standards to the legislation, to the regulations. So there's, there's, there is pages and pages and pages of Brexit legislation, regulations, the Act and everything. But when you actually drill down to the differences between machinery directive and the supply of machinery safety regulations, they're still a bloody same, apart mm-hmm. from the, the, the allowance for UKCA marking. When you drill down to the low voltage directive and the electrical safety regulations, they're still the blinking same, apart from the re- reference to UKCA and C marking, you know? The standards are identical. I cannot see how it would be good for Great Britain PLC to start deviating from international standards. Obviously, there are certain things that we do that are unique to the UK, hence where we still have British standards, which are just BS, not BSEA, not BSEA and ISO. Um, 7671 being one of them, 7430 being another because it's closely related, 7909 because it's closely related. I don't really think it's a good idea for us to start messing around and saying, right, to heck with this. We're just going to go and and, and 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 do our own thing and isolate ourselves in the rest of the world market because it's going to restrict what we can buy. It's going to push the cost up of what we can buy because we're going to insist on it being built specifically for our market. And on the opposite, you know, if we're going to build stuff that's just for our market, then we're going to be uncompetitive in the rest of the world market. One of the things that you will, like I have, I have learned when I've been going through this journey, is that a lot of the European legislation and a lot of the standards that are out there have their roots in what we were doing many, many years ago in this country. When you think back to the Robins Report and the Health Safety Work Act 1974, the rest of the world was nowhere near at that level. We've been in trying to improve health and safety and safety for the working man in this country. Um, and I'm going to say something that's going to be very unpopular with some people now. If it wasn't for the unions going back then, a lot of it wouldn't have happened. The unions were fighting for safety for the working man as much as they were fighting for terms and conditions. You know, um, holidays. You know, the unions ones that fought for holidays and stuff. But that, without the risk of getting too political, we'll stop there. Um, and these things, you know, the UK was a, was a world leader in these things. And, and you can see it when you read a lot of the legislation, when you read a lot of the standards, you can see the roots. Yes, 
the terminology has changed to become goal setting rather than prescriptive. And that's unfortunate, but it's because there is more than one way to skin a cat. You know, you can't, if you become too prescriptive, then as technology changes, as new products and new innovations come along, you're rewriting standards every few months to cope for all this new technology that's coming along. Mm. Whereas if you become goal setting and set safety standards and set set these, you know, you must achieve this sort of level of safety, you don't need to do that rewrite every so, so often, you know. If we think back to Health and Safety Work at 1974, is it still fit for purpose today? I think it is. Yeah, I, was, I would agree with that. You know, let's go back to the autistic work regulations, 1989. Are they still fit for purpose? I think so. Maybe, you know, maybe we could, maybe there could be a few tweaks here and there to both of them, you know, but they are written in a legal language at the end of the day. And that's something that, unfortunately, the language of, 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 of the law and the language of regulations and, and, and standards is something that, if you're going to become involved in them, you have to learn. Um, hence why there's a, oh, hence why, if you notice now there's a, um, in, the, in, the, in the Brown Book now there's a section on what is, you know, shalls and shoulds and all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Explaining the language because it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's just there to help really for people to understand the terms that are used and why they are used. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's probably that's one of the good additions in the latest amendment. I think. Yeah. Yes. I think that was a, that was a very good that was a very good um, a very good ad for that uh, from that aspect. It's certainly. But then, I mean, we still get people who are still ask questions around that. You know, what, what do they mean? What, what do they mean by that? Well, they say that, but what do they mean? <laughs> well, just just sometimes you just got to take it for what it is. It's written down in black and white. Take it for what it is. You know. Obviously, we're kind of talking about how how the industry moves forward. Then, what what do you see for the future of the industry? I can see obviously a lot more smart technology. Uh, I can see a lot more um, a lot more upskilling needed for, for for the guys out there. I think they're going to need to pick up. I think there's always going to be the place for for guys who are just going to fit replacement lights for people or repair a socket for Mrs. Jones down the road who just want to plod on and do the, the bare minimum. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot more smart technology out there. I think POE is going to become a big thing. Um, you know, I think we're going to start finding, we're going to see more DC installations. Um, I think we're going to see maybe split boards where maybe half the board will be AC, half the board will be DC. Maybe for sort of smart lighting, maybe for, for IT stuff. I think uh, power quality and interference, EMC control, it's going to be a challenge in the future. That something the Sparks going to have to get their heads around. Yeah, um, cert- certainly, with like um, lots of inverters and things like that creeping into the domestic setting, yeah. it's um, yeah. I- ensuring we're compliant with UKPM requirements is probably on the least of everyone's, you know, yeah. retrospective yeah. installations. Yeah. But yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, complying with the yeah with the EMC requirements from the from the network providers, the, the DNOs is, is something. Obviously. Um, you know, prosumerism is, is back to smart homes, isn't it? Generation, small levels of generation. I think we need to get our head around RCDs. I think type AC is, is just forget it now. Just forget it. In this room around me now, I can't think of 
one thing, but there's a linear load around me. So I've got no, I've got no, no electric bar fires in here. I haven't got an incandescent lamp. They've ripped the immersion heater out when they put the back boiler, the combi boiler in. Um, everything else is electronic around me or some kind of electronic load. Mm. So I think, um, I think uh, type AC RCDs are gone. And I think the future is type B. I think type B will become the standard and nothing else. I think we will we will we'll go right to to um, to type B RCDs over the next few few editions of the of the regs, shall we say, standard, um, because things are going to get more and more complicated. Um, I did say something on another uh, media outlet recently. I said I'd like to see the death of the agency spark, and I was quickly interrupted and said, oh, "We don't mean that literally." And no, I don't mean that literally, but. I find that agencies and, the, and this this concept of, of of the way that agencies or the ways that the, the sparks on the, on the tools are treated by companies and agencies, I find abhorrent. I find yeah. the fact that they have to pay to be paid disgusting. Um, I find I think agencies are a part of the cancer of this industry. I'd like to see them gone. I would like to see boys only directly employed, so they get proper benefits, so they get proper training. You know, um, so they get proper PPE. You know, they have to. You know, you've got guys who are being paid not much more than, not much more than they would if they were on the books to be self-employed, to provide all their own tools, all their own equipment, all their own training, all their own PPE, all their own transport back and forth to work. And then on top of that, to add insult to injury, they have to pay to get their wages to some faceless organisation somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Me, I hate it. I had a couple of agencies come on to me once, and when I told them what my rate, they might, you know, oh, Umbrella Company. What do I want from Umbrella Company? I'm a limited company. What am I a limited company? Oh, we'll work that way. Okay, bye. Ah, oh, but bye bye. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean certainly, I know from my experience where I've certainly done larger commercial projects, it creeps in, doesn't it? Where you've got let's say 20 labourers and and one approved electrician overseeing the whole lot and yeah that that's a, a big big issue for me as well yeah 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 and that, that's that's another thing that I'm, I'm not keen on you know i mean don't get me wrong it's rooted into the industry for some guys like when i was an apprentice we're going back now years ago um if you didn't get an apprenticeship by the time you were 18 you couldn't do one you couldn't do an apprenticeship at 18 was the cut off age um good or bad that was the way it was back then um okay okay you know things have changed probably for the better because it means people can can change careers mid mid midlife and, and 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 that's not a bad thing but the improver route the labor route the you know the the, the electrician's mate working on sites with a spark it's a route into the industry for people um that might not otherwise be able to get a start uh, as long as that experience they get on site is backed up with the relevant qualifications, the underpinning knowledge, uh, the theory, the, 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 what goes behind it. You know, there's there's more to being competent than having the qualifications, and there's more to being competent than knowing that if you measure a bit of conduit that way and you bend it that way, if it's on a wall, and it looks nice. There's 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 more to it. There's both sides of it. You know, I'm not particularly happy with the way that. The training industry is being driven to put bums on seats and get people through exams. You know, 
people need to be taught the underpinning of it. They need to have time to understand, to absorb it. Um, I'm not a lover of the short course um, route. Obviously, not forgetting the fact that the Warrior and Regs course itself, the 2391 inspection and testing course, the design course, they're short courses, but they're CPD courses virtually. You know, they're add-ons over and above the fundamental training. There is no substitute for time, is there? Basically. Um, no. Uh, well, you. I mean, I had to do four years regardless. There was no, there was no shortcuts with me. There was, there was, you know, we couldn't. Even if I did, I did actually finish all my logbooks and all my, all my stuff about six months early. But I still had to carry on working as an apprentice. It just meant I didn't have to do logbooks when I got home at night. You know. Yeah. They were all signed off. Um, and yes, and yes, the, the foreman and the tradesmen would start to to push us and give us jobs on our own. They put they put two apprentices on a job and, and one tradesman, and the tradesman would would oversee the two apprentices and stand back a little bit and start to let us do our own thing and start to work on our own and and and, and start to learn how to do jobs because you don't really really start learning until you finish your apprenticeship. Well, we, we didn't because we were. We did and we didn't. You know, it's when you start making decisions on your own. That's the thing. You can do the work. You can do the, you know, you can you can you can put the socket on the wall. You can put the light on the ceiling. You can change the solenoid valve. You can you can you can you can change the push button. But it's when you have to start making those decisions about, well, what size cable do I use? Where am I going to run it? Where am I going to drill the joists? Where am I going to cut a hole here? Am I going to cut a hole there? Am I going to chase it? Am I going to that's when you start to really learn when you're going to start making those decisions for yourself. The tradesman is not telling you, do that, put it there, you know? Yeah, and definitely. So, yeah, design thinking, isn't it? And yeah. Frame of mind. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of sparks don't even think of it as design thinking, but it is really. Uh, even fault finding thinking, you know, when you've got to make that decision, do I change that part or do I change that part? I mean, we... Uh, I can't uh, not address obviously E5. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did uh, how did that happen for you? I've always I was I've always been trying to be active um, in the industry outside um, on social media um, for quite a few years. I was part of a team running one of the electrical forums well, from 2012. So it would have been we 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 party ways with the I party ways with the forum last year. So for for so nine years we I was we ran a uh, electrical forum online, um, and I've always been there trying to help uh, people to understand uh, and trying to. Um, I was always I was I always well I've, I've been an IT volunteer for quite a few years. I used to be um, a STEM ambassador, go back into school. So I've always done that sort of giving back thing as much as I could anyway. Um, and it was a chance meeting at, it was a show in Birmingham. It was, I don't know if it was the installer show, it was a design show. There was a panel talk going on and Darren Staniforth, uh, was with the NIC then, was on the panel. And Darren saw me, and I know Darren, I knew Darren back then, when um, when he walked into the auditorium, he started talking to me and passing time of day and stuff. Um, and I said, do me a favour, I said, um, when you go up, I said, because obviously the, the there was a new edition of the regs coming out, or there was a DPC out there. I can't remember what, exactly what time it was. Just do, do a show of hands thing for me, will you? You know, and he said, do you know what? It's a good idea. 
So the show hands, how many people knew there was a DPC, this, that, and the other? How many people made comments? How many people made this many comments? How many people made that many comments? And the last question you asked, how many people made more than, I don't know, 50 or 100 comments or whatever? There was two hands left up in the auditorium. Both of them called from, from guys called Paul. Uh, and Mr. Beeland came on to me afterwards and called me and he said, um, what are we with you like? So we started talking and, and um, E5 had been sort of Paul's thing for, for a few years as uh, in its infancy. And then we thought, you know what, if we, if we do something to not formalize it, but if we can do something to get people together to help each other, to get people together to help those who haven't had maybe the best training, who are there asking questions that they're not getting the right answers to, whereas there are people out there that could give them the right answers, that do understand. And if we can put those people together, you know, it gives those guys that confidence, that gives them that learning opportunity that they were deprived of because of the way that they came into the industry or the training they were given was substandard because all the, the training provider wanted to do was get them through the exam to get paid for it rather than actually teach them what they needed to know to do the job. Uh, and it all came from that, really. And we just, you know, we never we were never intended on setting up you know, people say, are oh, you going to set up a scheme, you know, a competent person scheme? No, that was never our thing. We were looking at just trying to help and trying to, trying to help people to upskill, trying to get CPD out there to try and find resources that people could learn, just to highlight that there's information out there. If you need to know about this, you can get it from there and that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can only say it's definitely done that. Oh, and that was our intention. We're still around. I mean, I still talk to Paul and, and Ryan and Dan and, and, and Dave and everybody. Uh, you know, we, we still communicate quite regularly. It's just that Paul now in his role is really, really busy. Dan in his role is really, really busy. Ryan's really, really busy with his company. David's absolutely really rammed with Sparky Ninja. Um, I mean, I've been taken ill. So, you know, I'm, there's only so much that I can do now. So we're still around. You know, we have still got a few um, podcasts that we will think about putting out. Obviously, we've just done some Amendment 2 talks. Um, I've been asked to do a couple more Amendment 2 talks um, down the south of the country, maybe sort of Swindon, Cardiff area. Um, don't know whether, we, whether I'll do those yet. Depends on how I am, illness-wise. Um, I mean, you're, still, and you're still getting about with the IET, though, as well. I still do a little bit with the IT. I still, I still, I, I, I gave up. I used to be a professional registration advisor with the IT. Um, but when I, when I got, when I was diagnosed with the cancer, I sort of said, well, look, you know, I'm stuck in hospital now. I was in hospital for three months, paralyzed. So I couldn't, you know, there was nothing I could do with that. So I sort of said to the IT, I'm not going to be able to do the PRA role. Um, I used to be an Eng Tech assessor, um, Eng Tech and Eng Tech elect assessor. And I said, look, I mean, I, I don't really want to do that at the moment either because with those two roles, people are relying on you. Like if 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 I'm assessing somebody's um, or advising somebody on membership, they've got deadlines they need to meet. But if my illness means that I can't help them meet those deadlines, it's not fair on them. So I kind of I've, I've withdrawn from those two roles at the moment. Um, I still take part in the local committee stuff uh, in the local uh, Southwest Wales Network, or Wales Southwest Network, and I still do a bit on social media. Um, 
bits and pieces like that. But I'm not as doing as much as I used to, simply because it's 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 can't with the other lessons. Yeah, it was a lot. You were doing a lot anyway. He's you know yeah. the average person, let alone um, yeah. obviously not yeah. being too well either. No. Um, yeah. So um, I don't know how much longer you want to go on, but I wouldn't mind just mentioning about. Obviously, we've sort of skirted around my cancer. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. We can we can discuss that, yeah. Um, because one of the big things that I have tried, I mean, I did an article, those who, um, I think it was August last year in PE, I did an article for Richard at PE uh, on, on my condition and, and, and my diagnosis and stuff. And yeah. um, back in sort of August, sort of September time, 2020, I had some serious pains in my my in my sternum in the the bone that goes down between your rib cage at the front and in my shoulders and my spine at the back and uncharacteristically and, and i even ended up going to the doctor the the doctor thought it might have been postulated so gave me some painkillers but insisted that i came back in a week which i did because uh, it didn't go away with it with the advanced the stronger painkillers um and lo and behold it turns out i was diagnosed with prostate cancer very advanced stage Stage four, um, basically, it's incurable, so it's probably going to be terminal unless I respond really well to the treatment, and so far I haven't. Um, I've had seven, seven, I think, different kinds of uh, of hormone treatments so far, and an operation, uh, not to remove the prostate. I had another operation. I had an orchidectomy, um, which I won't go into the details of, but if you look up, if you're interested, look up what an orchidectomy is. Um, you'll you'll yeah, you might cross your legs afterwards. And none of it's worked, unfortunately, for me. Prostate cancer's kept growing. So uh, I'm now on chemotherapy, um, which has resulted in a few good blood tests, but it's early days yet. It's, as I say, I was, I was paralyzed November 2020 and hospitalized. I came home the 1st of March 21. I hadn't seen my family physically. Didn't set eyes physically on my family for three months. It's incredibly difficult. It was right through COVID. There was no visitors allowed. The only person that I saw that wasn't a member of hospital staff, and she was a member of hospital staff, was a friend of my daughter's who actually worked on another ward. Was happened to be, um, she had to go in early for something, and she had a few minutes before the start of her shift. And she came on to my ward to say hello to me. Um, and I didn't recognize her because of all the masks and everything, and, you know, uh, she just she, she couldn't stay for very long. She just came in, went to my daughter, said hi, and then um, and had to go. And that was the only person I saw, apart from staff, for for three months that were. I say she was staff. Thank God for sort of um, you know Skype and 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 Messenger and all these sort of things, because so I could actually see my family and they could see me and we could talk, which we did regularly. But um, it was horrible. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I came home first of March. I was hoist transferred. Still, still couldn't, still couldn't wait. There, couldn't walk. Um, I've done a lot of work with the physiotherapists and the and the physical therapists and the exercise people. And I can walk a little bit now with a walking stick, but not very far. Uh, basically, I'm confined. I can I can I can transfer out of a car into a wheelchair or into a onto a scooter. Um, if I go to the pub, as it were, not that I can drink very much these days i can, can transfer out of the scooter into a chair at a restaurant and stuff but um i can't do stairs i can't do steps to speak of i can't walk more than a few meters 
Um, and once I've walked a few metres, I have to have somewhere to sit down. Because unfortunately, the way the cancer has spread through my body, it's weakened my my spinal column, my vertebra. And the spinal consultants and, uh, and the physiotherapists are concerned that if I was to fall over, they don't know what would happen with my spine. Mm. So whether it would shatter, crush, snap, whatever. And and this, this, the, the, the damage goes right from, well, it's right through me. I've got I've got spots of cancer from everywhere from the top of my skull right to down past my knees and into my into my shins. Um, the main cancer loading is, is my central body, my spine, my sternum, my ribs. Um, but luckily enough, the last lot of tests that I had, which have been which are a few years ago, now uh, it hadn't spread to my soft tissue, so uh, we're still hoping that it hasn't. But at the moment, until the chemotherapy is over, we won't know um, if that's the case. If we can keep it out of my soft tissues, our prognosis will be a little bit better. If it spreads to my soft tissues and carries on spreading the way it has, I've probably got another 18 months, if I'm lucky. So so, so the crux of it is, and it's not something that gets talked about, certainly on construction sites and, and engineering sites and this sort of stuff, is men's health is important. We are important. Um, you know, if it was if it was female cancer, if it was breast cancer or cervical cancer, the ladies would get screened. Uh, we don't get screened. You're not really even entitled to a blood test for um, prostate issues until you're over 50. Well, that feels and, that feels a little immoral. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and I know one. Um, I'm on a, a prostate cancer self-help group, a peer support group, and there was one lady there who was just a few months back now maybe six months ago, was mourning the loss of her son to prostate cancer at 24 years of age. I know a lot of guys in their early to mid-40s who've got it. I'm only in my early 50s. It's not necessarily an old man. Unless you consider me an old man, then fine, I'm an old man. But it's not, a, not just a disease that 60, 70, 80, 90-year-old men get. Um, and it is serious. It kills one man every 45 minutes in this country and one in eight men get it. And our ethnic brothers, um, uh, black, uh, African, Middle Eastern, unfortunately, because of their genetics, apparently they're even more susceptible to it. And one of the big things, obviously, is monocturia, as they call it, getting up and going to the toilet at night, which... You might miss if you're a heavy drinker because, you know, they say that, you know, if you, if you drink a pint, you pee a gallon. And, you know, if you've been out on the lash, you've got on the lash regularly, you might not notice that you're getting up at night going to the toilet. But that is one of the symptoms. You know, urgency is another one of the symptoms. Erectile dysfunction is another one of the symptoms. You know, these I hear these adverts for blue pills now, and I it boils my blood. Because as far as I'm concerned, they should come with a health warning. Because if you've got ED, yes, it can be mental. It can be a lot of things. But it could also be prostate cancer. It could be something that's killing you from the inside without you knowing it. And, you know, no, a lot of men won't admit to having ED because it's not the done thing. But it's not necessarily you. It could be a disease. You could have cancer. And it doesn't have to be the fact that you can you total failure. It can just be that it doesn't work quite as well as it used to. Um, I mean, I had all sorts of small symptoms, nothing big. 
I had nothing you could say. That's definitely prostate cancer. I was very lucky in my GP. Um, There's a lady doctor and she spoke to me over the phone and she asked me a couple of questions. Um, did I have this problem? Did I have that problem? Did I have this problem? And it was yes, yes, yes and yes. And she put all those yeses together and got me tested. And if it wasn't for that, I still wouldn't have known. I would have just been carrying on blissfully unaware. No, so, yeah, it's incredibly important, isn't it? And it is. we, all, we all need to look after ourselves. It is, you know, especially, you know, if you think you feel, I mean, I was the breadwinner, you know, I I'm, 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 I started losing my work when COVID started in China because I was due to go to Japan to do some machinery that was going into Sweden for EV batteries. So that was cancelled back in January 2020. And very soon afterwards, obviously, COVID came here. We went into lockdown and stuff. Um, even if I hadn't been taken ill, I wouldn't have had much work from January 2020 until possibly six months ago. So I would have probably gone about 18 months without without much work because factories didn't want people going in there and, and going around and looking at stuff, you know? Um, but obviously, having been hit now with the cancer as well, it's wiped us out. You know, I was the breadwinner. So, so you are important, guys, you know, especially if you're the breadwinner at home. Um, I need a carer now. My wife's my carer. You know, I can't, I can't, I can barely dress myself. I can't dress myself properly. I can't go to the toilet properly on my own, all because I ignored the symptoms at the start, you know. I was too macho to go to the GP when I was feeling rough. It's, it's it's crazy do it you know um yeah it's crazy no definitely and, and if anyone listening is, is experiencing one of those symptoms get in touch with your gp definitely yeah absolutely and if, if you really think it is the symptoms that we've been discussing some gps are very uh, reluctant to give a blood test um because it's it can and, and you can get misdiagnosed from a blood test um but there is a there's an examination they can do which people are terrified of, and there's no need to be terrified of it. It's only a finger up the bum. You know, it's not as bad as it sounds. When you consider the alternative, it could save your life. Definitely. Prostate yeah. cancer, if it's caught early enough, is as curable as any cancer. But if it's left too late, it's a killer. And I'm in that limbo ground at the moment. I don't know whether it's going to kill me or not, but it's certainly not curable in my condition. Well, hopefully it's the former and you can have many more years to, you know, enjoy your family and and life. It's been a, a pleasure chatting with you. I, I wish you could probably do it all again, to be honest, <laughs> and, and have uh, have so many more detailed chats on, on your experiences. Um I do have one one final question, which I ask to all of my guests. What is your favourite movie? Hmm. Probably. Let's see. I've I've seen some recently, which I've really I've really enjoyed. Um, I want to go back to maybe one of the Star Wars or the Star Trek movies, but probably the one that I I, I laugh at the most, I enjoy the most, is probably going to be Guardians of the Galaxy one. Okay. I think it's just it's just so it's um you know it's a combination of everything you know yeah I'm, I'm not too familiar with that 
that franchise. I, I tend not to. Um, it's DC, isn't it? DC. No, no, it, Mar- Mar- Marvel. Yeah. Is it Marvel? So I, I, I've probably put my foot in it already with a fair few people. Um, <laughs> Marvel, DC. <ooh. laughs> yeah, no. It's, like I said, Paul, it's been a, a pleasure having you on, and, and thank you very much. Always no like the t-shirt, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Just so everyone's listening, it's Metallica. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you very much, and thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>